Do want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report Podcast with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today, joining us is Nikkei Anani, who's the founder of Nikkei Anani Practice Limited. Let's jump in and get to know Nikkei. Welcome, Nikkei. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Eric and Carell. Absolutely. We were excited to talk with you and get to learn a whole lot more about Nikkei Anani Practice. Can you tell us a little bit about Nikkei Anani Practice Limited and tell us about how you're really helping family businesses? (laughs) When I'm asked that question, it's hard to divorce the question on how I'm helping family businesses from my (laughs) personal journey. (laughs) So Nikkei Anani Practice is very integrated into Nikkei Anani. So family business is like my life obsession and really because of my insider experience. Mm. So my parents started off our first business the year I was born. So my parents were a young doctor and a young teacher in Lagos here in Nigeria, but Mm. they couldn't afford to give me the standard of living that they, they really wanted. So they had to have their side hustle, as we call it these days. And Three years in, my dad would resign from medicine and would focus on entrepreneurship full time. And he grew the business over the years. And you can probably hear, I I lived in the UK for a very long time. At age nine, he moved myself, my brothers and my mom to the UK for our education. And I worked in corporate after college for a few years in Deloitte. But I must say, I love the environment. I love the people, but the work itself was just like uninspiring for me. Mm. It was quite hollow and it just didn't light me up. I really couldn't connect with that. And I remember having a conversation with him one day and saying like, I really don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know what it is, but this is not it. <laughs> right, right. So he suggested take some time off work and come to Nigeria and come work with me for a few months. Maybe you get introduced to a few of my friends, get exposed to different industries. Maybe that will inspire you in some shape or form. And so the plan was to come to Lagos for three months, travel for six, go to business school, hopefully along all those many times, you know, I would discover self. So I got to Nigeria and here we are 10 years plus later. I never left. Yeah. I just love the entrepreneurship culture. I love the opportunities that bounded. I got deeply entrenched into the family business and I set up a family investment office. But I found that, you know, in working with my father, whilst I really loved it, it was very lonely in that I didn't know anyone else, any of my friends that had this weird boss dad situation Mm. that had to deal with the huge responsibility of thinking about not just employees and their welfare, but also current generations and potentially future generations of a family. And they're not even knowing how to go about like, okay, yeah, I do want a business that will outlive me, but how do you even go about this? Mm-hmm. And there were no advisors on the ground in Lagos, Nigeria that were family business trained. And there was no community to even learn from other folks and be like, yeah, so you guys are a bit further than us. How did you do it? There was no community. And then, unfortunately, a really good friend of mine, her father passed away and the family business collapsed three months after. Mm. For me, that was like my wake up call. Like, this isn't normal because over here, 98% of businesses that are family businesses will not survive 
when the founders passed away. So only 2% will survive wow. compared to 33 globally. Mm. Okay, can I ask you about that? Because that's really Please. profound. Yeah, that's it's really profound that that wide gap in between. What contributes to that from what you've discovered? Unfortunately, there's not much data to explain it, but so it's really from a professional standpoint and observations. I've got a few observations. Mm. Yeah. So it's insufficient to say it's the business environment and the political environment that causes this because on the African continent, we have lots of immigrant populations like Indian families and Lebanese families that come onto the same soil and build multi-generational businesses and wealth. So it's something about the culture in which we're building the businesses and building the family. And what I observe from indigenous Black African families is that quite often we have quite founder-centric businesses that are so dependent on the founder, mm. where the founder's heart and head is literally just in his heart and his or her heart and head and has not been able to institutionalize and document the vision, the mission, the genius. It's just all kind of intuitive. And so they're surrounded by followers and helpers as opposed to co-laborers and co-builders. And then when you lay on top of that, the phenomenon that is the African family, which can be philosophical. Like, who is family? Over here is like, who is family? Like, everyone's my family. (laughs) (laughs) Firstly, our blood families, our nuclear families are larger in size, typically, than Western counterparts. We have large extended families that are very involved with the nuclear family and vice versa. And then we've got this concept of kinship, where, you know, we take other people on that are not necessarily blood relatives. And so in absence of succession planning, which I was alluding to when Mm. the founders not being able to institutionalize, in absence of estate planning, in absence of full clarity as to what's the vision, what's the mission, who is family, what's the governance structure through which we'll make decisions. What typically happens is when the founder then passes away, you see infighting in the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dad would have wanted this. Mom would have wanted that. No, she didn't. You were always a favorite. Da, 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 da. Extended family comes in and it pulls the family apart. And the lack of a united family really has a detrimental impact on the business and on the wealth. So that's what we typically see. And it's really sad. And so I trained up with Family Firm Institute, which is out in Boston, to really learn about What is so nuanced about this family business world? What makes it so much harder? And then really with a hat of an African, because it's impossible to really, truly understand the nuances in our culture. What is an African culture? It's so complicated. In Nigeria alone, we have 200 million people and 250 tribes, 250 ethnic tribes. Mm. And so we've got so much heterogeneity from an outsider just to assume that you know, what pertains in the United States would hold here is, is quite um, mm. simplistic and naive. And you really need to understand, like I said, the culture. What is the culture? It's right. complicated. There's so much diversity in Africa. It's unbelievable. But really making and holding room for things like polygamy. Polygamy is legal here. Things like, like I said, this kinship culture where We take on people that are not necessarily our blood relatives and we support them philanthropically or even 
employ them and what have you. And then the gender, how gender plays out on the continent is very different from how it's been portrayed in the media. No, that's that's great. I, I love the deep dive into how complex really all of that is. And, you know, I want to ask you about, you know, sort of growing up in those complexities, right? Because mm-hmm. all of that is part of Nikkei, right? And also Nikkei had a chance to go somewhere else outside of that, whether it was Boston or the UK or whatever your journey took you there. How do you think that impacted you mm-hmm. today? And how do you think that impacted what you're doing today in, in Lagos? Mm. I feel thoroughly blessed by that experience. At the time, I felt very misunderstood and alone, particularly when we moved to the UK. We moved to a very Caucasian city and I went, I was one of the only people of color in my, my and I went to an all girls school as well. And so my life was one of being an outsider, being on the fringe, not really fully belonging, having feeling like I had to explain myself, feeling like I didn't belong in school and I didn't belong at home. Like my mom, you know, she was first generation Nigerian. I'm second generation British. And just this feeling of straddling. Mm -hmm. I've come to realize that that's actually a gift. (laughs) The feeling of not truly belonging because you then start to see yourself in other people and other people in yourself when you you don't look the same. And I really believe it's a gift to be able to build and cultivate relationships with people that don't look like yourself. What our world really needs is diversity of thought. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I really believe that that life experience of the globalized experience that I've had has helped me to be able to, I have friends that are double my age, triple my age. I've got, you know, from, I've got friends all over the world and it's thoroughly, thoroughly enriched me personally and professionally in my, in my line of work in helping families because I'm able to compare, okay, how would this pertain in Vietnam versus in Nigeria? and learn from other people's experiences. So yeah, no, at the time growing up, it wasn't easy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things you said there, Nikkei, is that you're very self-aware of yourself, right? In terms of being able to recognize how to utilize or leverage that feeling of not belonging in a way to your advantage or almost look at it as an opportunity. And I, and I think that that's important for the people that are listening to understand it's that, you know, you don't always have to take something that's negative and let it uh, hamper you or, or beat you down. You can figure out how to turn that into an opportunity, if you will. And it seems like that's what you've done. Indeed. And I don't want to glamorize it and make it seem like it was all rosy and all the right, whole time. Right, like, right. Absolutely. Not. Not. <laughs> there are many times yeah. where I was the only person of color in the room. I mm-hmm. was the youngest in the room. I was the only female in the room. And I felt like, what in the world is this? But with the gift of hindsight, what that really taught me is to, to get used to being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and get used to lean in to learn about other people that don't look like myself. Mm-hmm. And so today I've built a network of people all around the world and I'm able to learn from them. I'm able to navigate relationships with people from different walks of life. And it's really a blessing. And 
And my, my wish is to pay it forward mm-hmm. to help the next generation of people of color that are in similar situations or the next generation of female mm-hmm. business leaders, because I've walked that lonely path, towed it before. And that's really what is at the heart of a lot of the work that I do with family businesses. Myself, alongside a friend of mine, we've built a community of African family businesses across the continent and also in the diaspora. And really it's, you know, the 2% statistic that I cited in Nigeria and Africa, really it's a global issue. We've got a global racial wealth gap. And knowing what we know, how can we pay it forward to see that people of color are able to build generational wealth Mm -hmm. and free themselves from generational poverty, um, having learned from our global network of peers and friends. Mm. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. What have you learned about yourself from starting your own business and running your own business? Where do we start? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm a control freak. I want to know for certain what's going to happen. So I have a plan and I've got a plan for that plan and I want to implement it and see that it goes according to plan. But yeah, so March 2020 was very interesting. Mm. Um, My friend and I launched our nonprofit community of African family businesses in February 2020. And it was like, yeah, it was like the universe was like, (laughs) wait and see what's coming next. And yeah, COVID-19 then hit. And that really taught me a lot about agility, flexibility, holding lightly to outcomes and Mm. pursuing my values and my North Star as opposed to necessarily results. And cultivating relationships at the heart of it all business is about relationships when i realized that at the heart of why i was a control freak was my ego was driving me Mm. i wanted to you know beast it in certain ways make certain achievements but when i reflected back the core essence of my values why i'm doing what i'm doing is you know to make the world a better place is to serve humanity. And if that's the case, and if I focus on building people-centric business or nonprofit, where I nurture authentic relationships and connections with people and really learn what their struggles are, then I'm able to actually curate and build excellent services that meets them at their point of need. So yeah, being a business owner is not easy. It's not at all. And my journey from working with dad to starting my own thing. In my mind, when I was working with my dad, I thought I was an entrepreneur. Apparently, I wasn't. (laughs) Apparently, I had a lot of comfort. I had this comfort blanket. But I felt like this pseudo entrepreneur. Yeah, I get it. I'm always going with him to meetings. And, you know, we make decisions together. Mm. Nah, the cross he's carrying when he goes to sleep, there's certain burdens he carries alone. Amazing. And until you, you you go solo, then it's like, who loud? Is this what this thing is? Amazing. It's heavy. What a what an amazing thing to experience firsthand, to see it, feel it, then to live it, right? I mean, it's an amazing thing. Nikkei, I want to I ask you about experiences that you've had personally. And you talked a little bit about what it was like to grow up in a different place or look different and have a different type of family even. 
right? Mm-hmm. You know, that you take into to school with you, right? I mean, everything's different. I want to ask you about some difficult times that I'm sure you've experienced. Maybe it's a little bit different, but maybe it's the same. Uh, you mentioned gender earlier. Mm-hmm. You mentioned mm-hmm. the culture, of, you know, and you mentioned kinship, polygamy, you know, different family nucleus, all these things that are sort of unique, but not so unique. How have you dealt with issues of discrimination personally? <laughs> some of that may be gender related. Some of that may be just family dynamics. Can you talk about all those things real quick? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I went to an all-girls school in high school. So I didn't really experience sexism or gender issues until I went to college. And at college, it was weird for me because I realized that my my course is very male-dominated. And I felt very intimidated by the assertion and aggressiveness of my male counterparts. I just felt like I just can't compare Mm. these guys are, they know it all. Before the supervisors ask the question, they're like, hands up, just shouting. And I'm like, what in the world is going on here? And I started telling myself a story that I don't belong here. And it took me years for me to realize that that story was in my head and was with Mm. me for a while. Mm. It was until, like I alluded to, I'm on the board of a couple of companies out here. And one is a real estate company that has subsidiaries in like 10 countries. And I remember when I was appointed, that voice came back and it was like, why, you don't deserve this. Why are you here? You're the youngest. You're a female. You're only here by virtue of your connections. Do you truly, did you truly deserve this? Do you truly warrant this? Mm. And again, It took me a while to understand that this is a very common issue that women face, this gender confidence gap where women, we tend to, even if we're equally competent as men, we won't portray confidence and won't feel confident. And when we see men exude confidence, we get intimidated and use that as indicators of their competence as a barometer for their competence and then disqualify ourselves from certain spheres. So it became so apparent to me that actually I had been my greatest enemy, (laughs) my mindset. (laughs) And I had to tell myself a different story. I had to change those narratives in my mind and I had something to offer. There was a reason why I was appointed on these boards as a young person, as a female there's a perspective that I have that they don't have. And actually I'm robbing them of a beauty of some sort by staying silent and just having all men that look the same, all the same age, saying the same things. It's it's good to, to shake things up a bit. So I must say my experiences of biases, of discrimination, largely have been based on internal stories I've taken as my truth based on societal norms, as opposed to explicit discrimination. Hmm. Fascinating. You can, you can almost change that truth, right? You really can. And yeah. it, What do you think you learned uh, that, Nikkei? Because like, 
family it's, or is it somebody that showed you that or was it life experiences? I, you know what? I didn't even realize even to what extent that was in me till Black Lives Matter last year. Then I got angry. Then I started to realize there were so many moments I shrunk back from being Nikia, the Nigerian British who speaks this language at home and is not white and does not portray whiteness. Mm. And I started to get so angry at myself. Why did I perpetuate this? Why did I allow this to be? Why did I twist my tongue in a certain way? Why would I pronounce my name in a certain way? Why? Why? And I realized I was being very harsh on myself in that representation matters. In as much as I've said that there's a beauty and there's a benefit to being the lonely one and being the only one and what have you, representation matters. It gives us permission to be who we are authentically. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really quite very aware of that now as we're moving, we're moving, I don't know if I mentioned, we're moving to the US in a couple of months with our two young boys. And I'm very mindful of kind of affirming their identity, of making them not feel like they have to shrink back as to who they are, not, you know, fall into the labels or try to come across as the black girl that everyone gets and will tolerate. Does that make sense? Right. But being who you are authentically. That makes sense. In your move that's coming up, mm. what excites you? And what scares you? <laughs> entrepreneurship opportunity, social entrepreneurship excites me. So I feel like it's this amazing confluence of like my construction real estate experience and like my business ex entrepreneurship experience as well coming together and I'm able to build projects that will impact on the Black community positively. I'm really scared about my son's I'm not going to lie. I'm really scared watching the news and yet another black man has gone down. I'm worried because whilst Nigeria has its issues, so many, where do we start? One thing I don't have to worry about is their identity. And I feel like in a weird way, they can do whatever they want. And they've got that sense of security and affirmation of self here. What's lacking is good education, good infrastructure, good healthcare. So ironically, it sounds crazy as I'm saying this, that I feel like they're in a great place to be the best they can be. I worry about them coming into the States as young Black men. And what stories will they start telling themselves about who they are, about what they can be? I worry. Mm. Mm. Well, they can be whatever it is they want to be, you know, so you can tell them Carell and Eric said that. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. But speaking of kids, you have children, you're running your own business. How do you manage it all? Is there such thing as work-life balance? <laughs> That's a myth. <laughs> it's a myth for me anyway. It's not a balance for me. It's just seasons change. And at any given point in time, something needs more of my focus than something else. For instance, today I had a busy day. I think I had about 30 minutes free today. So, so it was a work day. 
there's some days where it's a kid's day. I need to focus on the kids. The season that I'm going into now with the move to the States, I've blocked out my time to make sure the kids get settled in. We get settled in as a family, you know, before I go beasting it into work as well. So I think it's being mindful of the season that you're in Mm. and being very organized with boundaries. (laughs) exercising the right to say no <laughs> it's a right the day i discovered no oh my god it was such a great day <laughs> but i can say this yeah. <laughs> without an explanation i can just say no that's a complete <laughs> sentence without qualifying why i'm saying no and then not everyone's privileged with this but having a support system for me my husband is just super amazing my mom as well she steps in sister-in-law as well to help out with the kids and what have you. And then building a strong team of people around you in the business that you can really lean on. Mm -hmm. When you have to worry about talent and you have to worry about people that you're working with, the mental drain and the mental load creates so much stress that even if you have balance, (laughs) you don't have peace of mind. (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. So with this move to the States, I'm curious to know what's next for your business? What does the next 9, 12, 15 months look like for you? You know, I'm really excited because I think there's so many opportunities that will come up. I'm really passionate about women-led businesses and also amplifying the voices of females in even male-founded family businesses. So it opens up a lot of opportunities there. Also, like I was alluding to the racial wealth gap, there's a lot of work to be done. And seeing what can be done with the Black community to ensure that we build generational wealth. A key tool to that is home ownership. And I've had a lot of experience in real estate, construction, affordable housing, and thinking through social entrepreneurship projects that will be cost-efficient and also enable minorities and females to own homes, build wealth. And yeah, as well as building bridges between Africa and the diaspora, I think Mm. there's a huge, huge opportunity. We can see a stronger collaboration between the diaspora and Africa to help uplift one another. Business opportunities, there's so many opportunities on the African continent, investment, entrepreneurship, and vice versa. Mm as well as knowledge transfers from the diaspora to Africa to see that she develops. So I'm I'm super excited about the move to the US. Like, I just can't wait. Like, once the kids are settled, I know that I'm going to be super busy. Like, super busy. <laughs> That's awesome. Nikkei, tell us a little bit about folks who have impacted you. You talked about your father and certainly almost like early sacrifice, right, for... Mm-hmm for the family and to create opportunity. But you know, who are folks in your life that have impacted you and helped you professionally and personally? Mm. <laughs> the gentleman that nominated me to be on the board of the company I was talking about has really impacted me because he helped me to discover my voice and not to choke up when faced by so-called those that are more eligible to be there than myself. And he helped me to see my value, affirm my identity. He, in board meetings, he would always lean in and say, Nikia, he would notice when I'm just kind of silent and waiting for the convenient time to kind of gently suggest 
an idea or what have you. But he would always lean in and say, Nikhil, what do you have to say? He could see it in my eyes that there was something yeah. to say, but I was just kind of like holding back. Right. And I just really brought just brought it out. I really appreciated that. So I've been really blessed with male allies. Mm-hmm. If anything, great. I've had more male champions in my life than female. Whether it's because they've got the privilege to champion me, <laughs> heaven knows. But I've been surrounded by, yeah, men that would fight my corner and push me towards opportunities that I didn't think I qualified for. And then I'd look back afterwards, I'm like, well, thank you, you did that because <laughs> I was playing a much smaller game than that. And they include my father, my husband, my brothers, gentlemen I mentioned, and a couple of others as well. So yeah, I'm I'm really blessed by them. That's amazing. I want to ask you about inspiration. You know, where you're finding inspiration these days. Could be family, could be media, could be music, could be podcasts. Where are you drawing inspiration from these days? Podcasts. I'm a junkie. You're, I am a junkie. <laughs> like I can, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> in my office, I've got like a speaker where like I'm literally just playing different podcasts. I just love hearing people's stories. I love hearing not just their triumphs, I like to hear their trials. Because like, let's be real, like life is not always rosy. And there are days where I wake up and I'm like, this pandemic thing, like, when are you going to be over? Like, when are these kids going back to school? (laughs) (laughs) When am I going to know what life is going to be like? I need to hear from some real people, not people Mm -hmm. preaching at me, like people talking, talking to me. Like, that's what I love. So podcast is like my go-to. I love music as well. Weird enough, I'm inspired by my own company or my own. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with yeah. that. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so going for a run just on my own. I've not been feeling well for a couple of weeks. I've kind of had like a low grade cold. Mm. So I haven't been able to run in two weeks. And I was just saying to my husband tonight, like I can feel the stress building in my body. I can feel the emotions in my body. And I need to let this thing out. Like I need mm. to run. When I run, I empty my thoughts. I let my mind wander and I dare to dream. Mm. I just go and I feel like I just enlarge my brain to be able to receive when I then listen to like podcasts, like and see possibility. I love running. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Fun question. I love asking every guest that we have on the podcast, which is to Give us the top three apps that you use on your phone on a regular basis, but you can't name email, calendar, or text messaging. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh, dear. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> Just barely. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it counts. So it, it will probably be Instagram, Twitter, mm-hmm. Binance. <laughs> nice. There you go. Well, thank you, Nikkei. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. A lot of our audience likes to stay in touch and follow you. What are some ways that they can actually do that? Amazing. Thank you so much for having me, firstly. My website's got everything you need. www.nikkeanani.com That's N-I-K-E-A-N-A-N-I.com you find my social links there, email, and what have you. Excellent. Well, thanks everyone for listening again. And... We covered a lot today, Nikkei. We talked a lot about experiences, finding your North Star, 
not belonging, but overcoming. We talked about that sort of gender confidence gap and how to overcome that. We also talked about men fighting to help their women allies and also anyone around them that needs help with a voice. We talked about understanding things that maybe aren't for you and having the courage to speak up and and say, hey, maybe I've got a different sort of path. And then we talked about daring to dream. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. We're grateful. And thanks everyone for listening again. You can find more episodes where you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks. Thanks.